everyone, and welcome to another episode of Consensus, a podcast brought to you by Census Technologies. I'm your host today, Tyler Kern. Welcome to another episode of the show. We're thrilled that you've joined us for this one. Today, we're talking about scope track, and we're going to talk a little bit more about endoscopes. What are they? What are they used for? And also, why is it important to track them? And we're going to learn so much more about this topic. And luckily, we have two experts here joining us on the podcast today. First, we have Hannah Ship, product owner at Census Technologies. Hannah, welcome. Thank you. Glad to be here. Absolutely. And we're also thrilled to be joined today by Jacob Long. He's the Director of Sales Engineering at Census Technologies. Jacob, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Tyler. Absolutely. Thrilled to have both of you here on the show today. So let's start off with a really basic question, but uh, hopefully it helps kind of educate people and get everyone up to speed on what we're talking about here on the podcast today. Uh, so Jacob, what are endoscopes and what are they used for? Yeah, so you can answer that a million different ways. Um, so starting, I guess, high level there, um, flexible endoscopes are... are complex surgical assets that are used, uh, you know, to, to scope and, and image, you know, um, someone's insides, you know, for the shortest way to say it. Um, but what, what really gets complex about endoscopes is usually they're, how they're configured, the components that assemble them, what they're used for. It's all specific to the procedure or the part of the body that they're designed to, to image. So you see a lot of complexity and variance in the endoscopes that are out there. Um, but they're pretty, they all share some of the same kind of standard components, um, but it is a pretty diverse surgical asset, you know, portfolio when it comes to just actually what is an endoscope. Um, that's a great question too, because that's, that's really, I mean, what kind of endoscopes do you have and, and what is an endoscope is really an important question. Anyone in this space always has to ask themselves um, based on what their endoscope is. Is it flexible? You know, is, is it, is it um, does it have elevators or whatever? What's specific to it is really important because that always guides essentially just how you properly use it and reprocess it. So that's a really broad question. You know, what is an endoscope? But what's important to know is just there's a lot out there. Um, there's a lot of different types of endoscopes and they all have their own functions and, and uses in the industry. Um, yeah, it's kind of broad there, but. You mentioned reprocessing, and that's where I wanted to go next. What 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 does cleaning or reprocessing uh, of an endoscope look like? What, what what all goes into that that particular process? Yeah, that's another great question. Um, so yeah, like I just mentioned, that's always going to kind of be relative to the type of scope we have. Um, some scopes are a lot simpler to reprocess than others. Some can get complex very quickly, and then that entails more steps, more more things that we have to pay attention to and adhere to. Um, so as far as um, how does one clean or reprocess a scope, there's some pretty basic steps there. I think every scope model um, out there kind of has the same five or six expectations, either by by design or by industry standards. So, you know, there's always there's always utilization of that. So using it in the procedure room and that always has, you know, what's known as like point of use treatment or cleaning. And that's a, a stage in which whoever's handling the scope will be responsible for treating it after a procedure. So that's like a, a, one of the primary processes that's usually associated with most endoscopes. Um, and then you have transport, which seems kind of silly sometimes, but it's really important just putting it in a bin and getting it from point A to point B. Um, but there's a lot that, the, that someone has to adhere to there. They have to make sure that you know it's properly soaked, it's not dry, they seal it correctly, it's labeled correctly, and they get it from where it's going to where it needs, or where it is to where it's going in, in a proper amount of time. And then there's the cleaning and disinfection stage of it, typically. So that's going to involve, you know, hand cleaning, inspecting, you know, aspirating and soaking and things like that. Um, and once again, um, this is pretty broad. There could always be more steps depending on what the scope is. There could be fewer steps depending on what the scope is. Um, but traditionally, once we clean and disinfect it, we usually um, reprocess it using an automated endoscope reprocessor or an AER. So there's various manufacturers and models out there on the market, um, but the, that's usually a stage where the scope will be put in almost like a, a dishwasher, kind of. Um, it's a little more intense than that. Um, but the scopes will then be you know, disinfected that way. 
And what we're starting to see more often as well in the industry and where a lot of standards are starting to move to is also um, either including or using terminal sterilization with these endoscopes. Um, traditionally, they, you know, they, they have channels and things that it's difficult to sterilize, so we rely on high-level disinfection. Um, but now we're moving more and more towards terminal sterilization. So that would be like using low temp or, or chemical or gas sterilization to, to, to sterilize these scopes. Um, and, and then there's always storage uh, storage um, considerations as well, because there's also regulations and, and standards there, too. You know, you would think just, you know, it's not the same like sterile instruments where, you know, sometimes you can have a, a container of sterile instruments on the shelf and it's good as long as it's not compromised. Whereas scopes right now, um, they usually have what's called like hang times or dry time or storage times. Um, and once those expire, the scope has to be either um, reprocessed or if it's prior to expiration, it needs to be used again. So really, it's just kind of utilization, transport, cleaning, disinfection, if applicable, sterilization and storage. Hina, is there anything we've missed so far? Any follow ups you want to add to, to anything Jacob's had to say? No, um, it covers kind of tip to tail of the whole process. Um, and we're looking to enhance it so that it further supports our customers in the various nuances of those processes. So nothing much to add to that. Absolutely. Yeah. So Jake, if we wanted to talk yeah, about ahead, those various nuances, we, I'll say if we wanted to talk about those various nuances, then we could do that all day. And yes. Part of initiative to figure out all these various nuances yes. now. Um, so that, that's a conversation in of itself. <laughs> a very long one. <laughs> No, that's that's what it sounds like, and, and that's that's particularly interesting. And we'll 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 dive in a little bit deeper as we we go throughout the podcast here today. But Jacob, tell us a little bit more about why it's important to have good processes in place when it comes to reprocessing uh, endoscopes. What why is this such an important thing? Oh man, there's a million different moving parts. Um, one, these scopes are just exposed to a lot of a lot of um, bacteria and, and and possible contamination. Um, they're you know they go they're they're endoscopes, so they're exposed to a lot of a lot of stuff. Um, so it's really important that they're they're properly cleaned and disinfected because they're just har you know harbingers of, of bacteria and infection, um, just based on how they're used and their function. So so first they're just they're exposed to a lot, um, and then um, as far as how you actually go about making sure that they're reprocessed correctly. Like I said earlier, they do have channels. Sometimes they're lum they have lumens, they have non-lumens. There's a lot that goes into how you properly reprocess one. And I think that's that's why it's important to have a good process in place because if you have 20 different scope models at your facility, you might have to be adhering to 20 different um, processes to make sure that you're properly using and reprocessing each one of those, which is a lot to, to digest, understand, and apply. So if you have a good scope processing procedure in place and, and it's consistent and it's standardized and everyone that's responsible for handling and reprocessing these scopes are all exposed to the same education and the same standards, it just makes it easier to manage and to make sure that you know patient safety is at the forefront. So if we're doing everything correctly, if we're doing everything in adherence to standards and IFUs and scope-specific guidelines, and everyone's on the same page, um, it typically, you know, encourages and improves just, you know, the proper reprocessing, the proper handling of these assets, which will naturally just just improve, you know, patient safety and reduce the risks associated with these. One hundred percent. You know, absolutely. Obviously, the, the the process by which you 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 reprocess these seems like it's incredibly important given uh, given what these products do, and and like you mentioned, all the different nuance that goes into uh, to a product like endoscopes. Uh, I think um, you make a great point. So, um, for people who might be tracking the the reprocessing and all of the different moving parts that go into this manually right now, how can Scope Track really help kind of bring these facilities into the twenty first century in terms of how they track these processes? 
Yeah, so there's a whole lot of different ways you can do that. Um, just off the top of my head, if we're talking baseline, if you've got different types of scopes that you want to add to your product, then you can configure all sorts of settings per each type of scope. And so we develop a product that tries to meet different customers' needs so that you know what works for one customer may not work for another customer. And so if you add, let's say, um, a particular type of Olympus scope, you can add it. It has its own model number. You can assign reprocessing steps that are specific to that scope. And if you have another type of scope, you can add steps that are specific to that scope as well so that you don't have everything lumped in under a process that doesn't necessarily work across the board. And you can additionally um, add settings that help you track the scope based on its specific need. Um, I can think of a few different types of settings where you can um, indicate, let's say you're reprocessing the scope and it doesn't pass its leak test. You can prevent that scope from being processed any further until you get that issue addressed. You can set uh, flexible shelf lives for different types of scopes, whereas at one point it was like a hard-coded shelf life that applied to all scopes. We're constantly trying to adapt and make sure that we're supporting our customers in what they need. Um, thinking of another example, uh, if you've got scopes that maybe are expiring soon, you can include those on a priority list and make sure that you're taking care of them first. Um, we try to cover all bases um, when it comes to tracking and supporting customers uh, because a lot of times these issues come down to the main issue is patient safety. So if you are able to track your inventory properly and you can track whether something has failed a leak test or you can see, hey, how often has this scope been processed? What's its shelf life? What should I be doing based on this model of scope, you can go to that scope's inventory and get all of that information and you can utilize reporting, um, all sorts of different processes to make sure you're following what you should be doing. Um, I'm trying to think of other examples. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think. We've been so immersed in this recently. It's like... It's all the different elements uh, it, and it all comes together kind of in a synergistic process to make sure that you're covering all bases, really. And um, if you're talking about a facility that maybe two weeks ago was using paper to try and keep track of all of their scopes and make sure they're following processes, that can get to be a really involved process and, you, you know, stuff can slip through the cracks. So when you can use a software like ScopeTrack Advanced to track everything you need, and that software is being continuously improved and enhanced, then you're really able to support making sure your customers are taking care of their patients to the utmost of their ability. Yeah, and Hannah, it sounds like you it sounds like you, you touched on some of these things there, but but what are some of the common pain points that you've seen when it comes to to endoscope uh, processing and that sort of thing? And how does Scope Track Advance really help 
maybe address some of those primary pain points that you've noticed? I'd say just at a foundational level, being able to track what you need electronically instead of, you know, maintaining binders upon binders of information that, you know, it's scattered all over your facility. Um, so I'd say at a basic level, that's something that Scope Track Advanced is super helpful for. So you can add all of your scope inventory and you can add your IFUs, you can add your reprocessing steps, you can track what type of reprocessing method your scope needs. Um, and I'd say another pain point would be uh, tracking where you have issues. If we're talking maintenance related, say this scope doesn't pass its leak test, you know, you really shouldn't be using it on a patient beyond that. And so you add a block that prevents further processing so that you're not using this. I'm sorry, my dogs are going nuts right now. Um, you're, you're not processing this scope and using it on a patient because that's what's driven a lot of development over the years are these scares that pop up across the country where, oh, you know, you hear in the news that, you, you know, a scope issue caused, you know, patient related problems. So I think at a very foundational level, it's just making sure that you're taking care of your patients. Um, trying to think beyond leak tests and um, making sure you're not using expired scopes because you really don't want to be using a scope that's past its shelf life. It really needs to be reprocessed again. And so, a uh, product like ScopeTrack Advanced can help you keep track of things like that. So, so let me just toss this out there, just kind of broadly. What what else does the ScopeTrack Advanced provide to its customers? Is there anything else that that people need to be aware of in terms of benefits? Yeah, Hannah just really you know concisely listed really a lot of the things that it offers. You know, she mentioned IFUs, customized steps, scalable shelf lives, um, you know, customizable reprocessing requirements. And we say those things really quickly. They're like buzzwords. But if you're in the if you're in the if you're in the department or if you're in that space, that is a, just a ton of information that people are responsible to know. Um, and what Scope Track Advance does a good job of is making that just readily available. Like it's 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 easy, not easy, but it's I think it's simple to say, you know, that list, like it offers these things. And it sounds quick and simple, but that is a, just a ton of data. Um, I, I used to joke with customers, like if they had what, what I would call like IFU wallpaper. So if I walked into like a scope room and they had a bunch of scope models, it was common for them to have their instructions for use like laminated and posted all over the walls. And if they had enough scopes, if you can imagine, if you have 30 or 40 scope models, you got, you know, 30 or 40 IFUs, which are usually longer than a page. Um, so it almost looked like wallpaper to me, like the entire wall is covered in IFUs. Um, and if you can just consolidate that to a button and you can just click it and you get the IFU for the scope that you're using and you see the IFU on the same screen that you're using to acknowledge your steps, it just, it just consolidates a lot of the pain points into just one easy accessible platform. I think, I think that's kind of how I see it as a value. Um, because if I'm on paper, you know, I have all this information. It's just like my like Hannah said, right? I might have stacks of binders that I might have to sift through if I'm trying to find one event from one day. Um, I might have, you know, stacks and stacks of papers and case, you know, historical case data. If I'm trying to identify like a bottleneck or a problem, um, and then I might have a mountain of IFUs or IFU wallpaper if I have a bunch of IFUs to manage. And all of that just becomes data. You know, it all becomes just accessible data. 
Um, and I think that's that's really one of the strongest offerings, at least from from an end user perspective, someone who who is tasked with the challenge of reprocessing scopes, just being able to you know have all that information in one easy spot, in the same spot that they're also using to document what they're doing. Because um, you can imagine juggling, right? I got to read an IFU and then I got to write down on paper what I'm doing. I got to initial and sign certain tests that pass or fail. I have to sign off on my reprocessing cycles. So I'm like doing a bunch of work while having to adhere to standards and, and IFUs. So long story short, just a consolidation of all of that information that's needed to properly process and handle scopes is just into one one solution. Hmm. Yeah, that's that's a really good point. And I think a really strong uh, case for for scope track advance. So given the the challenges that that, that people face and the things that we've discussed so far. Um, how is Census looking to meet kind of the challenges faced by those in endoscope processing into the future, right? People want solutions, not just that work for them now, but that they can be confident they won't have to change or move away from in a couple of years, right? So how are you looking to build towards the future as well to, to meet those challenges? A lot of it's driven by voice of customer. So what the work we're doing right now, um, Jacob and I work really closely together on putting together a list of asks that come about, whether Jacob's talking to prospective customers or current customers like, hey, why doesn't the Scope Track Advance do this? And in addition to that, we have these new standards. And so we can take collated customer feedback, compare it to these new standards and see where it marries. Where does it align to where we can shape new development that is both supporting our customers and keeping them ahead so that when these new standards change, we can adapt and help our customers stay ahead of that. And so that's something we're working very strongly towards right now. Um, so we marry that with internal processes that we've developed where you take a request from a customer and compare it to industry standards. Does this make sense from an industry standard standpoint? Does this align with kind of where the direction census is going? Does this make sense from a good for product standpoint? Is, you know, what this customer is asking for, does it make sense to the software as a whole? And so when all of those align, that's what drives the development we're looking at right now. So we've got a lot of exciting stuff that we're working on right now. Can't really share any details, but we've got a roadmap that we're putting together. I'm very excited about it. I've got my team of developers working on some really cool new features, and we're getting a lot of uh, voice of customer feedback to make sure that as we develop, we're not developing in a vacuum. Our mockups make sense to customers who are already already using ScopeTrack Advanced, we're asking where the gaps are, we're asking where the needs are, and we're trying to make sure everything lines up that way. Jacob, anything to add? Uh, Hannah gave us some great information there. No, that was perfect. Um, like Hannah said, her and I have been part of a committee internally since the new standards came out um, earlier this year to, to do just what Hannah explained, and I don't have to add anything. There. She, she nailed that pretty well. So as we begin to wrap up this conversation, I want to give each of you just the opportunity to give us any final thoughts you have, be it a conclusion statement, what you want people to know after they listen to this podcast, uh, main point, conclusion, any of those things. And so, Jacob, let me toss it to you first, just for any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience. Yeah, a couple of things there. Um, if you're a current customer and you have a feedback for us, don't hesitate to let us know. Um, it's a proactive approach that Hannah and our team take. So we, we, we identify customers and we solicit them. We ask them for their help and their feedback. But we might have customers out there with fantastic feedback that we just 
you know, they just don't fall into the roster to ask. Um, so, so if you're a customer and you, you, you know, you know, you know, the space, you've used these solutions or you think there's something we should change or improve, I would, I always encourage our customers to, to let us know, you know, bug us. We like to be bugged with stuff like that. Um, and then secondly, I'm just also excited. Like Hannah said, we're excited. I'm very excited to see where scope tracks going. Um, we have a lot of really neat, you know, things in, you know, on the roadmap that will just really help us align with the new standards and to make it easier for our customers. Um, so just don't hesitate to reach out and, and let us know what you're thinking. And, and I'm excited to see where it's going. And I'm excited for our customers to see where it's going to. Hannah, any final thoughts that you have uh, before we wrap up this episode? Uh, I'd like to echo what Jacob said. Um, I am always seeking feedback from customers. I'm actually trying to build kind of a roster of contacts I can use to get VOC for either existing features we want to enhance or new features that don't yet exist. We want customers to drive what we're doing. So if you are interested in being part of that rotation, as it were, please don't hesitate to reach out. I'd love to get feedback on this product as a whole. And I will say for current customers, if you're using ScopeTrack Advanced and you're not uh, taking advantage of the reporting suite, y'all need to get on that ASAP because there are a lot of really good reports that can help you make sure you're doing the utmost um, as you use ScopeTrack Advanced. And if you have any feedback for reports, let us know too. Yes. <laughs> feedback on reports is great. <laughs> Feedback, good. That is uh, one of the main Very takeaways good. from this episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah, guys, good. excellent, excellent stuff today. Hannah Ship and Jacob Long. Y'all, thank you so much for joining me here on this episode of Consensus and sharing a little bit more about Scope Track Advanced and uh, the benefits that it provides. It's been a pleasure. No, I appreciate Thanks it. for having us. Absolutely. Everyone out there, thank you for tuning into another episode of Consensus, a podcast brought to you by Census Technologies. For more, you can always head to the Census website to stay up to date with the latest news and information and to get a better idea of some of the products that, uh, that they offer and so much more. So make sure to head to the Census website and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts, you can subscribe and stay up to date with the latest episodes of the show. But for this one, for Hannah and Jacob, I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next time.